This show doesn't have a theme song, so here's 10 seconds of me making a weird snoring noise. Okay, so today I want to talk about aesthetics because that's something that is a really pivotal part of the Hest project and a lot of what attracts me to visual programming in general and uh, just to various kind of unconventional programming tools and environments in particular. It's a huge subject and it's really contentious and so I'm not going to get into it in the full breadth of possible detail, but I am going to talk a little bit about and why I'm interested in Pool's deviant medium of expression for creative generally. So we're all really familiar with the idea of aesthetics in programming tools. We all have a text editor that is probably using some kind of syntax highlighting and we probably picked a color theme that we like whether it's one of the you know built-in ones or we went out and got something like Dracula or Solarized. And there's been you know various times where I've played with having no color theme at all, where you know it's just a black and white editor, kind of as a, as a throwback to the, the good old days when I was five. Um, and, and there have been various interesting tools like using uh, semantic highlighting instead of syntax highlighting. So instead of highlighting your code where each different part of the language, like keywords versus names versus operators, et cetera, each gets their own color, strings, comments, et cetera, semantic highlighting just matches tokens in addition to that and puts different colors on each of those tokens. So when you have a, a name that you've introduced, every place where that name is used gets the same color. And if you have a different name for something else, that different name gets a different color. And so it gives you a different kind of information through the visual channel. That's kind of neat. I, I, I played with one of those for a year and then went back to syntax highlighting just because semantic highlighting was ugly. You know, a lot of our tools on computers these days are doing their color generation using RGB or using HSL or one of those other popular spaces. Really, there's just RGB and HSL. Nobody's really using other spaces than that. And and that's that's something that I am constantly checking like Chrome status and the, the spec pages on GitHub and that sort of thing, looking to see when is the new CSS color module going to come out? Because all these web projects that I work on and all the web-based development tools that I use, yes, I use Atom as my text editor. Thank you very much. VS Code is not good aesthetically, uh, and it's very, very difficult to customize VS Code to actually look nice. And I use Hyper as my terminal, once again, web-based, because I can customize it extensively and all of the other terminals I've tried I cannot get them to look visually appealing to me and that's very important for the kind of work that I do and the kind of person that I am one of the things I keep waiting for is when is 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 the next CSS color module going to come out because one of the things it has is support for uh, the lab color space and specifically the LCH function for generating colors which is very much like HSV where you pick a hue and you pick a saturation you pick lightness but with LCH you pick a luma and a chroma and a hue and luma is sort of like brightness and chroma is sort of like saturation the intensity of the color and hue is hue and why why would that matter why does that matter why is that important to me well when you rotate through hue to come up with a variety of different colors with hsl and with rgb if you try to interpolate rgbs naively 
um, you don't get perceptually uniform colors. You get colors that are various degrees of intensity perceptually and various degrees of lightness perceptually. So if you take HSL and you set your saturation to 50% and your lightness to 50% and then you rotate through the hue, some of your colors are going to look very bright and very powerful and some of your colors are going to look very dark or very dim or desaturated. And so LCH uses the lab color space, which is a beautiful color space. It's, it's one of my favorites. There are better ones out there, but it's a very, very good one where as you interpolate colors in lab space, like if you take a gradient and you do the gradient you know, blending of colors in lab space, you get such a beautiful sort of shift of tone as you move from one color to the other. And LCH lets you do that programmatically. It lets you sort of, you know, by by shifting the hue, you get to move through the color space in a way that is much more perceptually uniform. And so you can do something like with semantic highlighting, assign different colors to different values, and you can really dial in what the general character of those colors should be by using the luma and chroma parameters. And then as you shift through hues, it doesn't really matter which hue you get. It's going to be much more harmonious with all of the other hues that come out. And so I'm, I'm really anticipating something like that being available in the browser and being available in all these, you know, web-based programming tools that are actually really nice, um, <laughs> contentious opinions. <laughs> so anyways, so... A lot of the development tools that we have right now are, in one sense, they're kind of aesthetically hobbled by just the fact that, like, monitors still aren't very good. Like, it's it's bloody impossible to get a monitor that is, like, good for animation and has a high refresh rate and is good for color accuracy. And that if you put a color on that monitor and then you put it on another monitor that conforms to the same standard, that it'll appear to be the same color. And that really matters when you're getting down to, like, close to black or close to white. And that last little tiny grain of difference between, like, pure black and very, very dark gray is, like, one of the places where a lot of monitors fail, even OLEDs, you know, especially OLEDs. Even though that's supposed to be their strong suit, it's like, yeah, they're really, really good at pure black, but if you go to like just slightly off black, you get all sorts of ghosting and tracing and just weird stuff and like shifts to really intense greens and other weird crap like that. That's no good. So um, screens, you know, getting a, a color accurate, high refresh rate, high resolution screen you know, at any price, it's just not a thing that exists. So that's something that the technology there isn't good enough yet. We are still waiting for that to get good. Another major aspect of aesthetics and, and where it's hindered and, and where I want to see more development on this is just in the culture around developer tools. Once upon a time, the culture was it's a black screen with green on it and that's it. You get black and green or black and orange, depending on which brand of computer you buy. And, you know, the original Macintosh came around and popularized the idea of black on white because that's what a sheet of paper is like. It's a white sheet of paper with black stuff on it. And it, when the Mac came out, it was like, it's a high resolution screen because if you have a lot of pixels to work with, you can be more expressive with imagery and you can be more expressive with the voice that text takes on based on the font that you give it. And there are so many different trade-offs that you make when you want to do something like push for color when the technology isn't really there yet. So that trade-off between resolution and color and refresh rate, another one of those is like we're seeing some really nice e-ink displays now that are just like so much easier on the eyes and so much more, you know, nice to look at. And so I'm, I'm still waiting for the era where 
where that that technology gets quite quite good too and and maybe we can have some nice you know special purpose programming tools that are beautiful on e-ink that's a you know total digression anyways the cultural aspect of how we expect our programming tools to look still seems to me to be rooted in that very early terminal era where it's black background with some kind of light thing on it. And there are occasionally people who like their light themes. They like their white background with their pastel colored text on top of it as just, you know, maybe it's easier on their eyes or they're mostly working in bright spaces or just aesthetically they prefer that as a a less like I'm in a closet in the basement in the dark hunched over a monitor, you know, listening to throbbing industrial from Berlin kind of culture. They want their white light, exuberant, colorful, joyful kind of theme for their tool. But aside from just like light and dark, there's this sort of um, we've benefited from design being something that is now taken very seriously in a way where previously it was sort of put into opposition with engineering and technical excellence and, you know, being a very hardcore, very serious programmer meant that design was this sort of superfluous indulgence in fashion. And over the last 20 years, that has kind of turned around where now design is is very well respected and well regarded. So a lot of programming tools have embraced design but they've embraced a very particular kind of design that is in vogue and i'm not going to say corporate memphis and i'm not going to say flat and i'm not going to say neuomorphic and i'm not going to say any of those kind of things but there's like a uniformity to the space of possible options that are made popular right now um and if you take any sort of popular purveyor of developer tools and look at the tools they make, they all kind of fit together into a very sort of uniform visual style. And and part of that is limited by the domain in which these developer tools work. So as an example of that, uh, something that I run into when working on the, the live schematic simulations that I've talked about previously is that they are meant to depict a system using the visual language of the schematic so that there's some flat background color onto which you put a bunch of symbols and traditionally it's white paper with black symbols on it but we've you know digitized it so we have a neutral gray background and then some black symbols with white fills in them and then we use color to overlay a lot of additional information so we use different hues ranging from Blue meaning atmospheric pressure to yellow meaning like a little bit of additional pressure all the way up to orange and red meaning very high pressure generated from from some resistance to fluid flow or or in the electrical case resistance to electrical flow. And we have this visual grammar that we've come up with to kind of communicate that information. But then the problem we run into is what do we do when we want to draw someone's attention to something in a way that is out of band from communicating about the the actual function of the system. So if, if there's something that we want to show them like at a UI level, like, hey, over here there's this button, and if you click that button, it's going to do something. So right now in this moment, we want to draw your attention to that button. How do we do that? Because we're already 
in an environment where we're using shapes and we're using colors to communicate domain-specific information. And so maybe we just have to pick a hue that's not reserved. So maybe we pick green, right? Because we've used blue, we've used yellow, orange, red, etc. So we pick green. That's great. Now we have a way to draw somebody's attention to something using green. But, you know, green is hard to see if you're colorblind, especially against red. Green is like one of the only available hues left after we've used hue to express a whole range of other information. We can't use purple because our clientele are very toxic men. And so they don't like anything to be purple. And we basically burned all the available channels of information. And I think programming tools, text editors and note-taking tools and, and anything that is sort of part of this current culture, you know, SAS, dashboards, all of these spaces where we're using visual communication to try and uh, work with or talk about code, they have a similar kind of problem where they've created an environment within which there's really only one kind of rendering style that is possible. And because of that, They've really quickly expanded to cover many of the available ways of communicating information and have kind of burnt all of those already. And so it's getting harder and harder to find new ways to communicate stuff. So a lot of it is just let's carve out a region of space and make that region of space have special meaning. So we've got, you know, the gutter down the left side of your text editor where line numbers go. Now we're putting little dots in there with different colors to indicate, you know, get diff status or to indicate, you know, like a linter failure on a certain line or to indicate, you know, test failures or whatever it is. And so then we start stuffing things into toolbars at the bottom of the window or toolbars at the top of the window or floating panels that come up on the side. And we're sort of constantly having to carve out more and more spaces to stuff new kinds of information. And it's getting very overloaded. And I feel like we're kind of like all of our tools are now sort of at a very high cognitive threshold. They're at a very high density of signals that are all kind of fighting with one another. And so that makes it very hard to do something that is aesthetically deviant from what those norms are, because all of the existing channels that could be used for uh, aesthetic expression are, are already kind of burdened. A, a counterexample to this that I love is what you see in Surprise, video games, where video games will have a photorealistic world that is the domain through which most of the communication happens between the player and the game. So you'll have, you know, your environment and you'll have vegetation or you'll have, you know, buildings or other people or whatever it is, you know, star fields or whatever. Um, but that is rendered in a way that is meant to uh, simulate or allude to reality. And so it has a very particular way that light works derived from physics. And it's it's tying into a lot of very, very deep understanding that we have just from being human beings. And on top of that, they're able to lay uh, all sorts of UI and they can really go wild with that. And they can use that to communicate things like, hey, here's an object on the ground that is something you can interact with. And the UI doesn't clash with the object in the world in an aesthetic way or in, a, in terms of the channels through which they're communicating because they're from two different entire styles of, of rendering, two different entire aesthetics, two different purposes. And so they can kind of coexist with each other in space 
And the two meanings can be kind of tangled together, but in a way that doesn't conflict. You know, usually there are some cases where it's like, oh, this is a hyper stylized anime game using non photorealistic pen and ink rendering. And so it's really hard to tell the UI stuff from the stuff in the world because the world is rendered in a style that is too visually similar to the UI. So there's some clashing there. That, that can happen. There are all sorts of cases where this breaks down, but just that, that ability to have an environment where the kind of information you want to convey is really different from the, uh, the, the sort of base domain in which that information being conveyed is taking place, that's, that's a really rich thing. And so that's something that really appeals to me about visual programming is it gives you an opportunity to carve out an entirely new separate aesthetic space where the way you're communicating and the kind of information you're communicating can be very different from the UI around it because the UI uh, just stylistically can look quite different from the visual programming material. The visual language used to encode the program and the behavior of the program and the runtime character of the program or the way that the data is shaped and structured and all of that, like that can be presented with an aesthetic and with a visual grammar that is entirely separate from the UI stuff that you want to put on top of it. So you can load up the UI with a lot of additional information without it clashing as much. And so, for example, one whole thing that you can carve out from visual programming that you can't carve out from textual programming is text. If you can come up with a visual programming paradigm that does not include text or does not lean on text or rely on text, you have then freed up text as a channel through which you can communicate meta information about the program or about the programming environment without having to fit that in to the grid of text or to the chrome that is around your text editor in the way that you have to do with text-based languages. And there are so many other things like that where once you start putting programming into a you know physicalized space, whether it's 2D or 3D, because it opens up this whole other kind of relationship between things and and whole other kind of communication between what's in the computer and what the person is thinking about. You've moved the representation of the program into a new territory. So any space that that program used to occupy when it was articulated as text or files or whatever is now freed up for you to do other things with. And so I think that's really interesting. And so just to to bring this back to Hest and what I want to do with Hest in an aesthetic sense, um, I really, I, I haven't settled on what I want the aesthetics of the visual part of Hest to be, but I definitely know that I want them to be strange. I want them to be off-putting. I want them to be kind of unnerving in a way. Like I want it to give you a feeling when you approach it that is, hey, this thing is is not something that I, doesn't make me comfortable. It's not something that feels approachable. And I don't want to say it doesn't feel inviting or it doesn't feel good or it doesn't feel welcoming or that kind of thing. I, I think there there needs to be a kind of a, like one of the things I really like about, you know, punk rock or death metal or horror films or anything that is like very heavily steeped in genre and steeped in character is that it can simultaneously put up a wall that says, you know, trespassers keep out, but at the same time say, 
but you are not a trespasser. You can come in and get in the mosh pit with us and flail your body around and we'll all spill our blood on this floor together while keeping up this sort of exterior appearance of being very imposing and intimidating and intense. And I think that that is a really, really interesting space to explore with programming tools because programming historically has been so devoid of character other than this sort of professionalized, austere, brutalist, business-like, tight-laced, athletic, casual, sneakers and hoodie, short haircut, neckbeard, grubby, masculine, commercial, hacker, techno, counterculture, foxtrot, uncool, nerdy, prudish, superior, Star Trek, Bitcoin, technical, lazy, Microsoftian, mathematical, academic, conformist, not invented here, textbook, algorithmic, procedural, inhumane, 